SAFM 104-107 Nationwide Leading the conversation You've heard that song before. You will yet continue to hear it. It's Berita together with Ndlovu Youth Choir Ungandi Bulali, Do Not Kill Me, all in the context of 16 days of activism of no violence against women and children. The time now is 21.10, and because it is a Tuesday, as you all know, hashtag the African narrative, and this evening's conversation is going to focus on the militant Islamist groups in the Sahel region. This evening's guest is Dr. Daniel Azenga from the Africa Center for Strategic Studies about the latest report of which he is a co-author. The title thereof is The Puzzle of JNIM and Militant Islamist Groups in the Sahel. In this report, he unpacks the distinctive features of the component groups of JNIM. And of course, what that stands for is Jama'at Nusrat al-Islam. He unpacks that in the context of what is happening, which is the increased rise in militant Islamic groups, not just in the region, but generally on the continent of Africa, with over 1,000 reported violent incidents in the last year, it is said that the Sahel has experienced the most rapid expansion of militant Islamist activity of any region on the continent. Two-thirds of these events are attributed to this particular group. That's the JNIM, Jama'at Nusrat al-Islam. Dr. Daniel Izenga, then, good evening, sir. Thank you so much for your time. Good evening. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. First of all, let, let, let's just um, have a bird's eye view. Africa is fast becoming the hotbed for terrorism or militant organizations without necessarily focusing on the one where we're going to spend a bit of time. That's the Jama'at Nusrat group. But generally, why is Africa becoming this hotbed? Why is Africa attractive? And what, if any, are the political questions that one ought to ask, or on the other end of the spectrum, the economic questions that one ought to ask, because we do know if it is not the sponsoring of some political ideology, it is all predicated around the resources, or very much could be very predicated around the resources that Africa has. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that's a, a nice question and a, a nice way to set it up. Uh, there are, in our view at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, sort of five dominant theaters of militant Islamist group activity, uh, the Sahel being one of those theaters where you find Jamat Nusrat al-Islam al-Muslimin, uh, or JNIM. Um, uh, but the other theaters would include uh, the Lake Chad Basin, which is an area where the borders of, of Chad, uh, Nigeria, Cameroon, and Niger all come together in the, in, uh, around Lake Chad. Um, and then another area would be in Somalia uh, with the well-known group Al-Shabaab. Um, uh, another, another area where we've seen increasing violence and increasing activity recently is in southern Africa, uh, in Mozambique, in northern Mozambique, near the border with Tanzania as well. Um, and then we have a, a theater of militant Islamist activity uh, in North Africa, uh, uh, somewhat in, in Libya, but also on the Sinai uh, Peninsula in, in Egypt. Um, and so each one of these theaters presents different groups, uh, which have different interests um, and, and different motivations. Um, but one of the things that we find uh, that's common in, in many cases is that uh, they are 
operating sort of on the margins of, of state capacity near border areas where they have an easier time moving around. Um, and they tend to be active uh, in areas where there is some sort of, of uh, natural resource uh, that helps to generate revenue uh, to finance their, uh, their ideological campaigns, their violent campaigns. Um, and so in, in each of these theaters, there are some consistencies amongst the, the many differences between the groups as well. Of course, when we talk about the Sahel region, we're talking about a region that pretty much spans the entire breadth of the continent, of course, around the Sahara region, right from the coast, the west coast, that is, through to the region that you have made mention of, at least in part, the Sudan, Djibouti, Eritrea, and possibly even down to Somalia. Now, with that, that is following, if you like, the geographic spread of the Islamic community on the continent, but yet there are many different populations that it Traverses and political regions that it traverses, being the Sahel itself. But what is the common thread among them when we talk about rising Islamist milit- militant action in the Sahel region? What then is that thread that binds them together where when one can possibly say, if this matter was addressed, it might mitigate, if you like, some of the 1,000 reported violent incidents in just the last year? Sure. Uh, so for us, at least in, in our most recent report, uh, in talking about the Sahel, uh, we're really focused on three countries in particular, uh, Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso. And so that's, that's the, the theater where JNIM is the most active and where we've seen this uh, rapid rise in, in activity. Um, you, you noted at the top of the show that uh, you know, two-thirds of, of all activity can be attributed to JNIM. Uh, but what we've seen over the last four years, since mm. 2016, has been a, a doubling of activity every single year. And this most most recent year, uh, 2020, we've seen uh, nearly 1,000 events, as you, as you noted. And those events uh, are, are wide-ranging. They include uh, battles with, with uh, national militaries, so the, the armed forces of Mali or Niger or Burkina Faso. Uh, they also include attacks on villages and communities. Um, and so we've seen uh, a growing amount of violence against civilians, uh, specifically being uh, waged by the Masina Liberation Front, or FLM, that's its French acronym, uh, sometimes also referred to as Katiba Masina, uh, which is one of the groups that is part of JNIM. Mm. Um, and so we've seen those groups targeting community leaders, uh, traditional leaders, uh, religious authorities, also uh, elected officials. Um, and, and, and then, of course, we've also seen violence against women and children in those communities, and we've seen uh, an enormous uh, rise in internally displaced persons uh, in Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso in this last year. We're going to focus on those highlights in just a minute, but perhaps for those who have joined us who might not understand, just as I do not, who then JNIM is as an organization. Does it have any links to the more well-known terrorist networks that the world has, for instance, Al-Shabaab, Al-Qaeda, and the like, and now in recent memory and in recent time, ISIS? Well, uh, so JNIM is comprised, or at least when it was, I guess the first thing to say is that it is a coalition. Uh, it's a coalition of different militant Islamist groups. Um, and when it was originally founded, it comprised four main groups. Uh, that would be Ansar Deen, uh, uh, the Masina Liberation Front, or Katiba Masina, uh, uh, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, or AQIM, uh, particularly its Saharan branch, 
and then also al-Murabitoum, which is sort of an offshoot of al-Qaeda in Islamic Maghreb. Uh, and so with those groups comprising JNIM at its coalitional founding, uh, there were also direct links to uh, a larger global al-Qaeda network. However, as, as time has, has gone on, uh, some of those groups have, have been degraded and may even be defunct, al-Qaeda and Islamic Maghreb being one such group. Um, and in fact, uh, different, different uh, national uh, military operations in the regions have targeted uh, those groups most closely linked to al-Qaeda and, and with some success. And so it's unclear now how much of a connection there really is between the remaining groups of JNIM uh, today. Um, so the, the two principal groups today are Ansar Dean and uh, the Masina Liberation Front, uh, which are operating in, in different areas uh, between Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso. We are in conversation with Dr. Daniel Azenga, Research Fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. We are discussing a report that he has co-authored, the title of it being The Puzzle of JNIM and Militant Islamist groups in the Sahel region. The Sahel region, if you like, just think of the Sahara Desert and the countries that that desert traverses across. This is the African narrative with Song Azamabeka, a bit of understanding on some regional issues that certainly have bearing and consequence in South Africa, more especially when one looks at recent developments in Mozambique with the rise of terrorism activity. You might think you're absolved from it, but once it's one border away from you, suddenly the dynamics are altogether different. After the break, we talk about some of these issues here on The Viewpoint. Please give us a call then. Johannesburg 714-2006. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. Dr. Daniel Azenga, Research Fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, talking about the report, The Puzzle of JNIM and Militant Islamist Groups in the Sahel Region. There already is a caller for you, Doctor, so I'm going to put the caller on the line. The name is withheld, so we will just go with Anonymous, calling from the Limbopo province of South Africa. Anonymous, good evening. Let's go, Anonymous. Okay, Anonymous is cold feet. Doc, as, as I was suggesting before the ad break, we were going to tease out some of the highlights that you had mentioned. Now, the modus operandi of these militant organizations is almost always the same. But what has got to beg the question is, how are they funded? How do they organize? How do they communicate? Given the fact that they're almost always taking place in a sovereign state, albeit in regions within those sovereign states, how can militant organizations be able to beat the defenses of the host nation's intelligence such that they can be of the kind of threat that they span across many countries and regions? Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, I mean, these are some serious countries who've got some serious challenges of their own before they have to deal with the insurgence of militant Islamist and related terrorist organizations. How do they galvanize their work? It's a, a great question, and it's a major problem for all those working to, to confront uh, these different groups. Um, and at least in the case of, of Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso, there are a few different ways that militantismist groups have been able to generate revenue for their activities. Um, uh, 
the first would be by tapping into illicit uh, illicit markets, illicit networks. And, and one of the main uh, ways that that happens in this part of, of uh, the Sahel is through artisanal gold mining. Um, so Burkina Faso, Mali, uh, to a lesser degree Niger, but still in Niger, and then as well in other countries like northern Ghana, northern Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Togo and Benin, which border uh, Burkina Faso and Mali and Niger, uh, we have quite a few artisanal gold mining sites. And those sites are not uh, well regulated by the government. They tend to be uh, not very informal. Um, and we've seen that with the expansion of militantismus activity, there have been groups targeting those sites, not necessarily to take them over, but to extort the communities that benefit from, uh, from, from mining. Uh, and so as a result, they capture some of the, of the gold, they capture some of the revenue that would otherwise be generated in the communities, uh, and they're able to, to fund their activities. Uh, another, another major way that militantismus groups in, in this part of the Sahel have financed themselves has been through the, the control of transportation and goods. Mm, uh, mm. And so there are, it, it, because this is the, you know, as you said earlier in the show, uh, uh, think of the Sahara Desert, there are few routes, but they are well-known routes that have, have long existed and been controlled by local communities. Uh, and so smuggling operations across uh, the Sahara from, uh, from West Africa to Northern Africa um, are, are one way that these militant Islamist groups have been able to, uh, to generate additional funds for themselves. And what they do there is extort the organized criminal networks uh, that are running the smuggling operations across those transit routes. Um, and, and experts believe that, that uh, JNIM-affiliated groups jointly earn between 18 and $35 million, U.S. dollars, annually, uh, mostly through the extortion of these transit routes and their ability to, to control and influence and extort communities engaged in artisanal mining. The question really is, in all of that, what is the end game? What if they just came authentically to the bargaining table with the stakeholders either at community level or the local authorities or even the national governments of the respective countries in which they operate. What would be different if they wanted to claim whatever it is, their end game, but on official lines where it's recorded and there is a genuine exchange of whatever it is that they want? Why is this proposed route through the insurgents option an option? Yeah, so this is a great question, and this is part of the reason that we think it's so important uh, remember to view JNIM as a coalition of different militant Islamist groups, because those different militant Islamist groups each have their own leadership hierarchy, their own objectives, their own tactics, and they tend to be mostly operating in specific territories. Now, their their objectives uh, range from political ambitions to control regions of, of Mali, Burkina Faso, or Niger, uh, and so. We've seen different leaders and and militant Islamist group actors uh, try to establish political influence, uh, try to carve out uh, safe haven and enclaves by uh, by establishing themselves as the the political stakeholder for those communities. But uh, there are other objectives behind, or or other motivations, rather, behind other leaders and, and militant Islamist groups. Some of those motivations are ideological in nature. Uh, and, and in this case, groups are, are attempting to establish something similar to an Islamic state or a theocracy uh, and, and have a, a, a radical extremist conversion 
of Sharia implemented across those communities. And so we've seen, in, in some cases, primarily in central Mali, uh, communities that have been uh, subjugated by militant Islamist groups through a campaign of violence that has, has forced a very harsh version of Islamic law uh, over those communities uh, and their behavior. Um, and then, of course, uh, it's also true that uh, some of the some of those engaged in militant Islamist groups in this region may be in it simply for criminal uh, objectives, for for making money. Uh, and so, the, the, those groups are the ones most closely linked to the uh, the uh, other networks of organized crime in the region, uh, and also uh, the illicit markets that make up the the artisanal gold mining trade. Sure. I'm going to give an opportunity to just one caller this evening. Please, um, after the question or the contribution from the caller, I'll give you as well an opportunity to wrap up. We have all of two minutes, so I'm just going to ask that we both be time conscious, please. Sakile in Durban. Yes, I want to ask you, Jesse, um, what, is, what is France doing in helping this country? Because they have a huge, huge military presence in all of those countries, and the, the bases keep expanding. I've lost power. What are they doing, or, or those soldiers are just policing them and enjoying stealing their wealth? Great and, question. Uh, number, number two, I want to ask him, what is his opinion on Saudi Arabia and Qatar in, ex, in exporting this Wahhabism of uh, extreme uh, Islam? Thank you so much. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sakile. Your response there, please, Doc. Yes, two excellent questions. Uh, I'll do my best to be brief. Uh, the French have had a counter-terrorist operation in the Sahel for quite some time. As the caller notes, it's called Operation Barkhan, uh, and it, it includes some 5,000 uh, French soldiers. However, it's important to, to remember that those 5,000 soldiers are spread across an area uh, that is roughly four times the size of France. And so you, you, it may seem like a large number of troops, but it's actually very few when it gets down to how much territory they are trying to cover uh, and in and, and, and their efforts to support the regional governments uh, that are combating militant Islamist groups in the region. Um, and so they're there mostly to support the Malian National Army, uh, the Burkina Bay and Niger- Nigerian uh, National Armies as well. Um, in, in terms of Saudi Arabia, Qatar, uh, the, the advance of, of Wahhabism, across West Africa. Uh, the vast majority of Muslims in West Africa continue to be uh, Sunni uh, as, and, and not uh, to follow this strain of Wahhabism, though we have seen an increase of, of Wahhabi uh, ideology uh, in, in places like Mali and Niger. Uh, and so it's hard to evaluate uh, to what extent that has influenced uh, the ideologies of those leading these militant Islamist groups. Um, but it certainly has has grown in recent times. Fantastic. So, unfortunately, as you had noted, we are certainly out of time. Our gratitude to you, and thank you so much for being so forthright in your responses and educating us, really, about a critical aspect of who we are as a continent, particularly as we look to continuously self-determine this, despite some of the inherent political challenges. Dr. Daniel Azenga. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show.
Research Fellow at the African Centre for Strategic Studies discussing the report titled The Puzzle of JNIM and Militant Islamist Groups in the Sahel region. That then, folks, was the African narrative together with it confirming the end of this evening's show. Same time tomorrow, it is Wednesday. Good night, everybody.